All right, opening your Bibles to the book of Job, chapter number 1 this evening. Job, chapter number 1. Last week, we began a three-part series on the tactics and the strategies of our enemy and our adversary, the devil. The Word of God teaches us that Satan is a real being. He is not a literary personification of things that are negative or uh, morally corrupt, but he is a, an evil being, a wicked being. He is the adversary to the brethren. Uh, he is at enmity with the Son of God. He has a plan. He has an ideal of what he wants to accomplish. The Bible tells us of a satanic conspiracy that is in the world that we live in today. The Bible calls it the mystery of iniquity, which now worketh. And there's no question that we have an adversary tonight by the name of Satan. If we believe the Bible, then we have to believe that's true. And some people say, well, you believe in Satan because you believe in God. And if you believe in one, you have to believe in the other. And, you know, that sort of yin and yang thing. No, I believe in Satan because the Bible tells me about him and warns me of him and gives me some very definite and real truths about him that will help me as we seek to not give Satan victory in our Christian lives. So last week we began with an examination of Satan's attack on God's Scriptures. That was the very first thing that Satan sought to attack was the Word of God. He's not stopped, even in this day that we live in. From then until now, he's still attacking the Word of God. But tonight I want us to look in the book of Job at the second time in Scripture that Satan speaks, that it's recorded for us. And I want us to look at Satan's attack, not on Scriptures tonight, but Satan's attack on God's servant. Job chapter number 1, and we're going to read the first two chapters of the book of Job. It's not very lengthy, uh, but you bear with me. The Bible says in verse number 1, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was seven thousand sheep and three thousand camels, and five hundred yoke of oxen and five hundred she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thine power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. 
So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, And it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose, and rent his mantle, and shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground, and worshipped. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What, shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, for they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept. And they rent every one his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads towards heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Thank you for your patience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for your people. Thank you for your word and for your Holy Spirit tonight. I pray that you do in hearts that which would bring you the most glory. Lord, you know what we have need of, and we come to your precious and sovereign hand for it tonight, that you would feed us, Lord, that you would give us that which would sustain us in this spiritual battle that we're facing. Lord, we love you tonight, and we thank you for all that you've done. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. 
Now, we've read quite a bit of Scripture there tonight, and we intend on touching on pretty much all of it, uh, because we really want to gain the context of Job's situation before his friends start to talk. Now, you say, preacher, why is that important? Because as you read through the conversation uh, between Job and his at, at the first three friends, and there's a fourth that joins them later on in the book of Job, uh, it's easy sometimes, and by the way, every word of God is, is needful and good and perfect and righteous. I'm not implying that it's not needful, but it's easy sometimes to get bogged down. And, you know, sometimes reading the book of Job is a lot like the Christian walk. Uh, we know where we started, amen? We've read the back of the book and we know how it's going to end. And it's not that what's in between ain't important. It's just that it ain't as important as where God brought us from and where He's taken us to, amen? And so as we read the book of Job, we gain a real insightful understanding of the type of man that Job was and what went on in his life, what took place in his life uh, that God allowed in his life. And tonight I want us to spend just a few moments and look at Satan's strategy and Job's response and what God did throughout all of it. Let me say I'm thankful that when Satan stands up against me, God takes action too, aren't you? I'm thankful that God doesn't wait around. I mean, God knows what's going to happen. God was always in control in the book of Job. He may have not been controlling, but He was always in control in the book of Job. And I'm thankful when things feel out of control, because we can't see God controlling it, that He's still in control and He's still on His throne. Let me say a few words about Job as a person. Because I think it's important for us to understand, Job is one of those books that's a lot like Jonah. You know, some folks think the book of Jonah is about a big whale, amen? Uh, some folks think the book of Jonah is about a little prophet, amen? But really, you get to read in the book of Jonah and you find out it's not about a big whale, and it's not about a little prophet, but it's about a great big old God that's in control of everything. And the book of Job is the same way. The book of Job is not really about Job, it's about God. It's not really about Satan, it's about God. And so I think it's important important for us to understand where Job fits into this so that we can have our focus on the Lord. Let me say that there's a part of every one of us that seeks to think the worst when someone has calamity in their life. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much you love a person. When the bottom falls out, we all tend to wonder what they've done to bring this upon themselves. But what does the Bible say about Job? Notice three things just very quickly. I'd say, first off, that Job was a blessed man. The Bible says there in uh, verse number uh, 3, it says at the very end of it, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. Now, we know what that means, don't we? That means he was the most powerful, he was the most wealthy. God had put a hedge about his life. Satan makes mention of that later. God had blessed the substance of his hands. And Job was a man that had received much from the hand of God. Let me say that you may be here tonight and God may have blessed you more than you know what to do with. You may be able to look back on your life and see the providential hand of God, see ways that He's protected you and guided you and provided for you. But that doesn't mean that you're not a heartbeat away from calamity. The reality is Job was a blessed man that walked headlong into a storm he wasn't expecting. Job was a blessed man, but I believe Job was a burdened man. You say, what do you mean, preacher? I mean, he was upright and he eschewed evil. And the Bible says, listen, you can tell somebody's really serious when they won't make excuses for the kids. Brother Daniel, turn the air conditioner down just then. Did you feel it? You could feel it, couldn't you? Come on now. You can tell someone's really serious when they quit making excuses for their kids. 
Job quit making excuses for his kids and started making sacrifices for his kids. There's a big difference. There's some folks you meet, their child's never done a thing wrong. The only perfect person other than the Lord Jesus Christ ever born in this world. Job didn't have that notion or that attitude about his kids. He understood the inclination of the human heart. And his children were gathered together day in and day out, feasting and drinking. And Job would go while they were having fun. Tell me this isn't the life of a parent. While they were living it up, he was on his knees. While they were having a good time, he was suffering in travail and anguish for their souls. And while they're living a life full of mirth and rejoicing and merriness, Job would go day by day. The Bible says this uh, did Job continually. And he would go before the presence of God and give a sacrifice. He was burdened for his children. He knew enough about God and about the ways of God and the things of God to understand that a man can't live any way he pleases and be right with God. He understood the importance of reaching and touching heaven for his kids. He was a righteous man. He was a burdened man. But I want you to notice a third thing. This is just a little introduction. But I believe Job was a beloved man. Isn't it interesting that Satan comes and the Lord says, Satan, where have you been? He says, I've been walking around the earth. I've been looking around at things. You say, what was he doing? Well, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 7, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. What was he doing that day? He was walking about seeking whom he may devour. And you know what the Lord says about Job? Uh, before Satan, Satan didn't say, Satan didn't go to the Lord and say, what about this Job fella? No, it was the Lord that said, hast thou considered my servant Job? I mean, Job was a man whose relationship was good with God. And you may be here tonight, and your relationship may be where it needs to be with God, but don't think that that puts some kind of barrier between you and calamity. Because the truth of the matter is uh, that uh, God made this statement concerning what was going on in Job's life. Uh, he said, He still retaineth his integrity, though thou causest me to move against him without cause. Job hadn't done anything to deserve what he was going through. You won't always deserve the things that you're going through. But you just remember that if it wasn't for Calvary, you'd be getting what you really deserve. Amen? You'd be getting what you really deserve if it wasn't. I know that's not easy. I know the human heart. If you're here tonight and if you're in a struggle and if you're in a storm, I promise you that your flesh, when I said that, just rose up and said, what do you know about it, preacher? I promise you your flesh said that. But it doesn't change that it's true. It's not easy to hear that. We feel like, well, I don't deserve this. I didn't do nothing to bring this about. But the truth is, if we got what we deserve, uh, we'd be in hell tonight with our neck broke right next to each other. That's where we'd be if we got what we deserve. Just because you're living right, that doesn't mean you're not going to come face to face with calamity. So Job was a good man. I believe that with my whole heart. But the Bible tells us that Satan did something. We find out in the book of Revelation, though this is characteristic of Satan all through Scripture, he's actually called this in Revelation 12.10. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. This is speaking of Satan. And we see in this passage Satan in a different role than we've seen him in the book of Genesis. In the book of uh, Genesis, he's the antagonist, and he's coming to try to provoke mankind uh, to uh, move against God, to disbelieve God. And we find in the book of Job that though he does provide that in Job's experience, uh, that he comes as the accuser of the brethren. 
I think sometimes uh, us Baptists think that's our job, amen? <laughs> but no, that, that job's already been taken. Satan is very apt at accusing the brethren night and day before our God. And I want us tonight to look at three things, and I hope I can help you. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how this is going to go, amen? And some of you are thinking, well, if you don't know, we're really in a mess. But uh, I'm serious tonight. I'm just trying to give you what the Lord laid on my heart. It's not that it's rough or anything, uh, but I just hope that the Lord will use it in a mighty way. I want you to notice first off that we see Satan's accusations in the presence of the Lord. Do you understand that one of the chief functions of Satan is to be in the presence of God accusing you concerning your sin? Do you know that's why it's so important when God, when Christ applied the blood to that heavenly mercy seat, it's a place that God the Father can point to on a continual basis. And though Satan's trying to remind him of our sins, he's consistently reminding Satan of his son's blood because day and night Satan is there trying to accuse us. And do you know that sometimes, even here on earth, we allow ourselves to be the utensils of Satan in accusing one another. Uh, there's some folks that think that they're the Christianity police. Amen. And uh, I've met a few. And let me tell you something. I've probably been there. I've probably been that person a few times in my life, maybe more. But I want you to notice three things that Satan accused Job of. You'll find that these three things are found in the life of Peter. Do you remember what the Bible says about Peter? Our Lord, shortly before he would be crucified and Peter would deny him, our Lord looked at, uh, at Peter and said this, uh, said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, and when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. Satan was doing this in Job's life long before he ever did it in Peter's life. Notice the first thing that he accuses Job of in the presence of the Lord is carnality. Look with me at verses 9 and 10. Job says this, or Satan says this, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. Could I say that the first thing that Satan attacks is Job's intentions? Satan seeks to go before the presence of God and say this, Job wouldn't serve you if you didn't bless him in the way that you bless him. Now, let me say this tonight. I'm not trying to take upon me to be the accuser of the brethren either. But all the things that Satan accuses Job of, it bears in mind for us to ask ourselves that question. Why do I really serve God? What is my motivation? Very interesting language used here. It's not found a lot in the Word of God. Put a hedge, made a hedge about it. You know what a hedge is, don't you? A hedge uh, row would be a, a uh, place, a, a group of uh, bushes or trees that you'd put with the purpose of blocking uh, people from entering in. I'm reminded I used to read stories about, uh, uh, about African hunts, you know, big lion hunts down in Africa. And they would take these huge thorn bushes and they would build massive walls, 12, 14 foot high around their camps at night to try to keep the lions from being able to get in. And do you know that there's times in our life that but for the providential hand of God, just as those lion hunters were fearing that lion in the darkness of night, there's a lion prowling in our life too. And God has put a hedge about you and I many times to keep the powers and the influence of Satan from thwarting us 
and from defeating our attempts to serve Him. But I wonder what would happen in our lives if God took those riches away. I wonder what would happen in our life if God took that financial security, took that health away. I wonder how we would respond. He accuses him first off of carnality, but notice secondly, look at verse 11. It says, But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. The first thing he does is he accuses him of carnality. The second thing is he accuses him of being a counterfeit. Now, this is really akin to what Satan said about, uh, or what the Lord said about Satan's plan for Peter's life. Because when he said, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Now, some of us are familiar with that process in which they would uh, uh, take the wheat and they would take it to the threshing floor and they would beat it against the ground and they would try to separate all the chaff from the wheat. And then they would take and they would uh, use a sheet, a bed sheet or a large blanket of some type and they would heave that up in the air. And when they did, the wind would carry away all the chaff and all that would be left would be that which was substantial. It would fall to the ground. And what the Lord is telling Peter is Satan doesn't think you're the real deal and he's going to do everything he can to try to prove that. We need to understand that we put a target on our back when we determine to serve Jesus Christ. Uh, Satan's a liar. He's the father of lies. You know what I found? Now listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. I found that people expect out of others what they expect out of themselves. Don't you believe that's true? You meet someone that's always uh, paranoid that someone is dishonest or someone is... And listen, I'm a cynic. We live in a cynical world. I'm aware of that. But you meet people that always think somebody's uh, telling a lie or somebody's this or somebody's that. A lot of times it's because that's what's in their heart. By the same token, a lot of folks that get took all the time, uh, because I remember my pastor growing up, he was, uh, man, he was the worst to let people take advantage of him. And he would, I mean, somebody would come, you know, our church was over there in East Knoxville, and it, it was, I mean, there's always folks roaming around, and, and uh, he was the worst sometimes. Somebody would come by and need a ride in his car, this, that, wonder nobody put a knife in him sometime, except the Lord had made a hedge about him. But he was so naive, because that's how he thought of things. He expected everyone else to think things that way. But now listen, Satan is a father of lies. And he assumes that you're a counterfeit. Automatically, he assumes it. He assumes that you're deceptive. He assumes that you're dishonest. And he wants to do his best to prove that. We better get this thing through our head uh, that if we're going to really serve God and if we're really going to do this thing, we're going to have to be genuine about it. Because when the trials come, when the storms come, when the wind begins to blow, that chaff separates from the wheat. See, it's easy to serve God and everything's going good, but you wait for the bottom to fall out, and then you find out who's genuine and who's not. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that some of these accusations that Satan was making, they may not have been true of Job, but they may be true of us tonight. We may have that tinge of hypocrisy. We may have that plastic facade that we put on. And really, at the end of the day, everything's not okay between us and God. Really, at the end of the day, everything's not all right in our relationship with Him. We're just trying to play it up to keep people thinking we're somebody. But there'll come a day when that storm begins to rage in your life and uh, the world will see whether you're genuine or not. He accused him of being a counterfeit. But I want you to look in chapter number 2, and, and I understand we're kind of skipping ahead a little bit, uh, and we're going to review back to this, but look at verse number 4. Now, we know the things. We've read it, and we've heard it many times in our life, all the calamities that have befallen Job heretofore. And so in verse number 3, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? That there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. 
and still he holdeth his, uh, fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. Uh, you know what Satan's accusing Job in the presence of the Lord of here is being a coward. First thing he accuses him of is being carnal, then being a counterfeit. But here we find Satan accusing him of being a coward. What he's saying is, Job may be all right for you to take his money. Job may be all right for you to take his family. But you start to take his life and start to touch his body, and he'll fold just like anybody else. I want to ask you something tonight. And listen, this may, some of you may be thinking this is the farthest thing from reality of ever happening. But I want to ask you a serious question tonight. I wonder how we'd stand if people started to do bodily harm to us because of what we believe about Jesus Christ. Say, it never happened, preacher. Better believe it will happen. Not it could happen, it will happen one of these days. May not be in your generation, may not be in my generation, but there's coming a day, I promise you, and and I, I strongly believe it will be at least in my generation, if not in your generation. There's coming a day when we're going to have to determine whether we really mean it when we say we give our life for Him. Oh, it's easy to say it now. It's easy to say it now, but listen to me. I promise you, if you won't live for Him now, you won't die for Him then. What did Satan say? He said, you start to skin for skin. What is he saying? He's saying, Job is fine to deal with these calamities because he still has his health. But what happens when you find yourself in that sick bed? Are you going to give up then? What happens when you find yourself in physical ruin? Are you willing to serve God even in the midst of that battle? Because we find that this took place in Job's life. We see the accusations in the presence of the Lord. But I want you to notice, secondly, the attacks in the persecutions of life that Job went through. I know sometimes we like to say things like, well, Satan's bark is worse than his bite. And we like to say things like, well, you know, he, he's, he's, like a, you know he's like a bee that's had the sting removed and he can't really have no victory. And, and by the way, that's all true because of Calvary. I'm aware of that. But that doesn't mean that he can't still have some power to destroy and to wreck in our lives. And understand, and we're dealing with things that I can't even fully explain to you tonight. I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you that. But Job didn't offer up this place in his life for Satan to have this power. God allowed this in Satan's life. Now think about that for a moment. Oh, we all believe that we can live in sin and live in unrighteousness, and when we do, that we'll give an inch to Satan, and he'll you know, take the whole ruler, and he'll take a mile. But as I read my Bible, Job didn't do anything to give Satan any room in his life. It was God that allowed that. And yet it was Satan attacking him, but it was God in control of the whole situation. I want you to notice some of the attacks that Satan uh, put over upon Job. Notice four of them. In chapter number 1, verses 14 through 17, we're not going to take the time to read it tonight, but I want you to notice that he attacks Job's finances. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you I'm not a health and wealth preacher. I ain't healthy enough. I ain't wealthy enough. Amen. Nobody believed me. I don't have a pretty enough smile. I don't have nice enough hair. I barely got any hair. And so I couldn't pass for a prosperity preacher. And I'm not talking tonight about prosperity preaching. I'm not saying that if you live right for God that that's going to mean that, you know, you'll always have big fat bank account and this, that, and the other. I understand that's not a reality. But the the reality of it is this, that most of us are going to go through financial hardships at times in our lives. 
And you know that sometimes in the midst of those financial hardships, though God may have his hand in it and God may be protecting, Satan seeks for an opportunity to get an advantage. You see, God was allowing this, and yet Satan was seeking an advantage. That puts us in a very precarious situation as believers. Do you know why? Because that leaves it up to us how these things fall out. Do they fall out to the glory of God through us trusting Him and doing the right thing? Or do they fall out to the will of Satan because we've allowed Him to have the influence and victory? You see, there was a choice that Job had here. Satan said, if you do all these things, God, if you take all these things away, He'll curse you to your face. And God said, no, He won't, Satan. I know, Job, He won't curse me. But it was Job that had the ultimate decision to make, wasn't it? You know, I, I firmly believe, and this we'll get to this here in a moment, but I firmly believe that, that Job's wife's statement was not a statement of ridicule. It was a statement of pity. She says, why don't you just curse God and die? I believe that she believed, and I believe that I believe, and I believe that Job believed, and there's a lot of believing going on, but I believe that she believed that if Job cursed God, he really would die. Furthermore, I believe if Job had cursed God, he would have died. Now, you say, preacher, does that mean if I curse God, I'll die? No, not necessarily. But we find that the chief function of Job's life for all of eternity, I mean, that the benefit that it would have for the church was that he go through this trial and that God be able to bring him through. I believe if Job had cursed God, that God would have taken him out of the world. It was a statement of pity that she was making. But Job had the ultimate decision. And let me tell you something. There's going to be times that the, that the powers of hell will move against you when you try to serve God. But it's up to you how you respond to it. I am more convinced today than I ever have been in my life that we're in a spiritual battle. That there is a satanic agenda. Oh, I know I sound nuts to the world. I'm aware that I might sound nuts to some of you. But listen now. I'm aware now more than I've ever been that Satan has an agenda and a desire to destroy the lives and the service of those that call themselves Christians. He's actively trying to destroy the work of God. I'm convinced of that. I could give you story after story after story of times, and let me give you biblical stories so that you don't uh, wonder whether my stories are true or not. But we find out that all through the Word of God, that Satan, every step of the way, was trying to thwart the promised seed that God had promised in Genesis 3.15. We find that he tried to do it through casting doubt uh, upon the seed, uh, through the uh, relationship between Abraham and Hagar. We find that he tried to do it uh, through uh, allowing Esau to be preferred above Jacob. We find that he tried to do it uh, all the way down in the life of Moses by destroying all of the firstborn there in Egypt. We find that he tried to do it time and time again uh, with muddying the waters with the nations of Israel, with the uh, tribes of Israel, and with the kingly tribe. And over and over again, you can go all the way to the New Testament, and you find that he's still trying to do it when Herod does the same thing that Pharaoh had done and tries to kill all the firstborn. Satan has a conspiracy that he's trying to play against Christians. He always has. He always will until he's bound in chains in darkness and cast into a lake of fire. The sooner we gather that, get it in our minds, the sooner we're going to understand that when these trials come, we have a choice that we have to make. We see that he attacked his finances. 
And finances are a funny thing because bad, I say bad, not bad finances. I, I don't think it's honoring the Lord for you to be uh, irresponsible with your money. But if you're like most of us, just not having any finances, amen. Uh, not having these things can either be a channel for faith or can be a catalyst for failure. Uh, we must grow in faith. I don't believe it's God's will for everybody to live uh, on a mansion on a hill, at least not in this life. But that can either be a channel through which we put our faith in the Lord and allow Him to deliver, or it can be a catalyst through which we fail God because we get wrapped up in it and discouraged and we quit on the Lord. The Lord, uh, Satan attacked his finances. Notice the second thing. In uh, chapter 1, the very next verses, verses 18 through 19, we see this too. And in chapter 2 and verse 9, we see that he attacked his family. Satan hates the home. Satan has always hated the home. The very first attack that Satan ever had, it was an attack on God's Scriptures. But the intention was not to destroy God's Scriptures, because Satan knows they're settled forever in heaven. It was to destroy that home and that family. Satan hates your family. Satan wants to see your marriage wrecked. He wants to see your kids rebellious. He wants to see bitterness in your home. Satan has always hated the home. He always will hate the home. That's why we live in a day where society is trying to change the parameters and definition of what constitutes a home. I mean, it doesn't take a biologist to understand uh, that you have to have two people of different genders to reproduce and that that's a natural thing. And yet today, in the reprobate world that we live in, of seared consciences and of reprobate minds, it's being considered uh, commonplace and acceptable for two people of the same gender, what the Bible calls sodomy, to have relationship one with another. Satan hates the home. Satan hates your children. Satan hates your family. Just as Satan hated Job's family, he hates your family. Satan wants to destroy your family. We need to understand how dangerous it is to play with sin. And to play with carnality, understanding that we have an adversary like the devil. He had a desire to destroy Job's family. He killed every one of his children. And the Lord allowed that. I'm aware of that. But he killed every one of his children. Then he destroyed uh, the relationship that he had with his wife. Now, I believe she said this is pity. But this became a bone of contention. Because Job look, looks at her and says, Why do you speak as the foolish women speak? I believe she wanted Job to be eased of his suffering. But yet in that, she was displaying her lack of faith in God's ability to deliver and to bring them through. Could you imagine how lonely that Job must have felt? You ever felt like a stranger in a crowded room? You ever felt like your whole family has forsaken you? You say, no, preacher, well, give it time serving God. The devil will try to make you feel that way. Satan's doing everything he can to destroy families today just as he was then. Notice a third thing. We see that he attacked his physical well-being. Isn't that what it says? Look at chapter 2. Look at verses 7 and 8. The Bible says, So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore bulls from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. Now, Satan had just got through saying to the Lord, Skin for skin. I mean, if you put your hand against him and touch him and wreck and ruin his health, he'll curse you to his face. And the Lord said, he's in your hand, but save his life. And Satan brought these boils in Job's life. Now, I want to be very, very careful in how I say this because I don't want to be misconstrued. I'm not implying that every time we're sick, it's because of sin. There's times folk just get sick. Amen? 
They just get sick. These old bodies are groaning and travailing until the adoption. We just we get sick sometimes. And that's the reality of things. But understand that Satan will seek to take advantage of your sickness. What did Paul say? He said, there was sent to me a messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. We believe that Paul was talking about a physical malady. I believe that because he says a thorn in the flesh. Do you know that oftentimes it's through those times of sickness and illness that Satan gains his greatest upper hand? Hard for us to fathom, those of us that are younger and don't contend with health problems on a daily basis, but some of you that know nothing but hurting, I'm being honest, that know nothing but hurting. I mean, stuff hurts you didn't even know you had. Amen? Always having to try to regulate, always an ache and a pain. You know what the battle is to try to keep Satan at bay in those physical maladies. In those moments, and I tell people this every time I go into the hospital, almost without fail, I'll say this, that Satan has a desire to destroy us through our sicknesses, through our illnesses. It's not to say our illnesses and sicknesses will destroy us, but he he knows that with this physical battle, there's a spiritual battle that takes place too. You may be here tonight dealing with something that nobody even knows about, that you've not felt liberty to share with folks. You may know how bad it is, but no one else knows how bad it is. But I'll tell you tonight, you better get it through your mind that Satan's going to seek to take that opportunity to get you down and discouraged and to cause you to give up on serving God. He attacked Job's physical well-being. It's already pretty plain to me that nobody's going to do a backflip, so I'm just going to preach. Amen. I see that he attacked his friendships. He attacked his friendships. Job's friends come in chapter number 2, Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar. There's another one, Elihud, that comes later on, who's a young man in the book of Job. But actually, what we read here before us is the greatest comfort that these three men did to Job when they sat down and wept with him and mourned with him. Because the next 30-some-odd chapters of Job involve their consistent and persistent effort to try to discourage Job and get him to realize that if he just lived right, he wouldn't be going through this. It's been often said that with friends like this, who needs enemies? Sometimes Satan seeks to cause discord amongst those that we love and care about, our church family, our friends, our loved ones that we care so deeply for. seeks to use them to discourage us and to distract us from serving Him. Don't think, listen, don't think two things. Number one, don't think that that's their intention. But number two, don't think just because that's not their intention that Satan can't use them that way. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? There's been times Satan's used me to discourage others. I bet there's been times when he's used you to discourage others. We better understand that our actions have a direct effect on those around us. And sometimes we ourselves, even unwittingly, can find ourselves being used of Satan to discourage and destroy those around us that are in their greatest need of encouragement. Oh, what it would have meant in the life of Job if his friends had just sat down and said, Job, I can't figure it out, I can't understand it, and I'm not going to pretend to, but Job, I love you and I'm here for you. Job, anything you need, I'm here for you. And yet we find that Satan was able to take an advantage of these three men and a fourth later on to provide 
Job's greatest moments of discouragement. We need to be careful because many times we can be that channel that Satan uses. Notice not only in this passage we see his accusations in the presence of the Lord, we see Satan's attacks in the persecutions of life. But I like this, and I'm glad it ends on this note. We see God's actions in the providence of love. Can I say that before Satan ever started accusing, God was already acting. Before Satan ever launched an attack, God already had a victory planned out. And I'm going to confess to you tonight that I'm not going to be able to say everything I want to say because time wouldn't allow it. And this little brain of mine that rattles around in this big old head doesn't contain all the wisdom and knowledge I wish it did about this matter. Because I believe if we could understand some of these things, they'd give us the greatest encouragement, maybe of all the portions of Scripture that we read. Because we find some very mysterious things going on here in which God is accomplishing something in tandem with Satan. Isn't that what we find here? He says to Satan, he's within thine hand. And yet Satan has to ask permission to do anything. God's allowing it. And yet Satan's accomplishing it. I want you to notice three things that God did in response to this. Number one, I want you to notice that God displayed Job. This is probably the core truth of this entire book of Job. That when Satan sought for someone to make an example... God offered forth Job that an example might be made not to the glory of Satan, but to the glory of God. Do you understand that the things that Satan means for your destruction, God means for His glory? The things that Satan intends to bury you, God intends to use it so you'll brag on Him. He displayed Job. Satan didn't mention Job's name. God mentioned Job's name. I wonder how we'd feel if we found out that some of our greatest calamities in life God volunteered us for. You remember what Paul said about that thorn in the flesh? He said that he prayed three times, besought the Lord thrice that he might take it from him. And the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. You know what Paul says? He says, I will therefore rather glory in mine infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'm going to make a few statements here I want you to really glean. Paul was praying for the Lord to take away the very thing that gave God the most glory in his life. He begged God three times to take this thing away. And if God had took it away, it would have robbed Paul of the power of Christ. It was a messenger of Satan. Satan had a will and a desire in it. And yet God got the glory out of it. Why? Because of Paul's response and his attitude. When God says, my grace is sufficient for thee, what grace is the Lord speaking of? Grace is spoken of as a theological ideal, but sometimes grace is spoken of as something that's dispensed to believers to help them and strengthen them through their daily walk. What was the grace that God gave Paul? When he allowed Paul in on this truth, that though Satan was trying to destroy him, God was displaying him. And that through his strength, through his weakness, God's strength was made perfect. Armed with that knowledge, listen, armed with that knowledge, Paul said, I will therefore glory. 
Sometimes if we would just understand, if we could just see it from the other side, if we could just see all that God's accomplishing through our suffering, if we could just understand. But you know something that's very interesting? I saw this as I read through the book of Job. Job never hears from heaven till it's over. Job's completely unaware of what's going on. In fact, all through the book of Job, his greatest lament is that he can't get a hold of God. You see, if Job could have seen what was going on in the presence of God, it would have given him strength that he could have never imagined. The reality is for you and I, though we may not be able to be in the presence of the Lord when our trials are taking place, we can be in the presence of the Lord when Job's trials were taking place through the Word of God. Though we may not see everything, if we could just catch a glimpse that God has a plan and a purpose in what's going on in our life, though we don't understand it, though we can't make sense of it, though it seems like, like our prayer life is dead, we can't get a hold of God, and that's how Job felt said, oh, that I might find God, that I might make my petitions before Him. And sometimes we sit there and feel like, oh, something's wrong. It just don't feel right. That's how Job felt. And all through the book of Job, he never heard from God until it was over. You know, I'm reminded of this, that usually when a test is being taken, I had my brother Richard was my teacher, and I've got other, my father-in-law was my teacher. I, I was telling George on a, on Friday morning, we was watching him lead singing. He was, he was telling some kind of story. I said, this is what it was like in Bible class. I said, this is why I can't remember anything. I was falling asleep all the time. Amen. But, uh, you know, I've got, I've got some of my teachers growing up. And something interesting is that the teacher talks constantly until it's test time. When it's time to take the test, the teacher steps out of the way and gets quiet. Some of you are wondering why you can't hear from God. But the teacher never speaks during the test. When the test is over, the teacher says, put your pencils down, turn your paper in, and the trial is done. But while that test is being taken, you won't hear from the teacher. Some of you are wondering why you're not hearing anything. It's because God is displaying you. We see that God displayed him. Notice, secondly, that God defended Job. It could have been a lot worse than it was. Amen? Satan wanted to kill him. God wouldn't allow it. Understand that the only thing that keeps us from utter ruin... What did, what did Jeremiah say in the book of Lamentation? He says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Satan wouldn't give us even an ounce of a head start if he had his way. Satan would wreck and ruin you in a moment if he could. But understand that God has throttled him. God has kept him from doing in your life what he would have a desire to do. Here's the great encouragement. What does the Bible say in that very same passage in 1 Peter chapter number 5? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. That tells me something. Nothing gets to me, but it passes through the hand of God first. Before Satan could ever touch Job's life, he had to get permission to do it. Because Job didn't belong to Satan. Job belonged to the Lord. If you're born again tonight, you don't belong to Satan. He's got to ask permission before he invades your life, before he tries to attack you. And understand that anything that gets to you, it's already passed through God's hands first. We see that God defended him. And notice finally in Job 42 and 
verse number 11. I'll just turn over there and read it to you. It's just one verse, or verse number 12, Job 42 and, and verse number 12. We see that God delivered Job. The Bible says, and this entire chapter is encouraging to read, but I'm just going to read this one verse. It says, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. You can't see it right now with what you're going through. And that's part of the tactic of Satan. If he can keep you blind, he thinks he's got you beat. You can't see right now what God's trying to do. But just as it is Satan's strategy to keep you blind... It's God's strategy to keep you blind too. We walk by what? Faith, not by sight. You can't understand what you're going through. I know that. I didn't preach this tonight so that you'd understand what you're going through. I preached this tonight so that you'd understand who's going through it with you. So that you'd understand. I, I didn't preach this tonight to help you get control of things. I preached this to you tonight to help you understand there's already one that's in control of things. He'll do everything he can, Satan will, to try to destroy you. But understand, there's one on a higher and holier and mightier throne than Satan has ever occupied and ever will. And he's in charge. Psalms 2 says this. I'm always reminded when I think of the sovereignty of God and his providence. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? And yet it goes down in that passage and the Lord says, Yet I have set my Holy One in Zion. The heathen may rage. Satan may think to seek to destroy you. But don't think that that disrupts God's plan for one moment. He's still in control. He's still got the control of the situation. 